Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Recorded live. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of AGP. As always, I am Amanda Gillum, the one, the only, the fantabulous host of this wonderful show. And with me, it is such a great honor. I've been working on getting this guy on the show for quite some time. Finally, his schedule opened up to where we could do this. I would like everybody to welcome my friend, Mr. Dustin Carson. Hi, Dustin. How's it going? Good, Amanda. How are you doing? Uh, getting you on the show, I'm doing fabulous at this point. <laughs> well, getting on the show means I'm doing fabulous as well. So. <laughs> this has been a long time in the making, so I'm very glad that our schedule has finally worked out between conventions and everything else to finally get you on the show. I'm absolutely ecstatic about it. Oh, same here. Yeah, that's that's the thing. You know, work schedules and family schedules and Comic-Con schedules, uh, yeah, sometimes it's a bit tough. Yeah, we've already, I mean... I'll tell you what, this convention season has really already kicked off and in a big way. I mean, even you've already had a nice, a couple of really nice conventions that you've already had. Yeah, I, I load up heavy in the, you know, late winter, early spring. I really load up heavy on shows because people still have their tax return money in their pockets. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so they're they're spending. They've got, the, you know, this ton of expendable cash to drop on, you know, Comic-Cons and everything. Whereas you get into the summer months, they're spending money on vacations, and then they're spending money on back to school, and then they get all of that taken care of. I'll load up a couple of fall shows. Um, but I usually lighten up a little in the summer because people just aren't spending as much. And then I'll hit the fall stuff real hard because people get their Christmas bonuses, so they have <laughs> extra money in their pockets. So I'll, I'll hit those, but... Um, so I always hit the spring, late winter, early spring stuff heavy um, because I, those are always my best shows. Yeah. Okay. Which you had one really great show at a show that both of you, you, both you and I really do love and adore, which was Gem City Comic Con, which happened to be a great show pretty much for everybody. It always is. I, you know, I've got Jesse Noble who puts it on. You know, Father Jesse, as I refer to him. Um, he he's just done something very very special there. Very, very special. Um, I, I think it's it's a great combination of several factors, and that one that Dayton, Cincinnati area is so supportive of comic books. I think you know across the U.S. there's like 760 comic book shops across the entire the United the entirety of the United States, right? Well, the mm-hmm. Dayton, Yellow Springs, uh, Cincinnati, Springfield area. That just that that little pocket of Ohio supports like seven seven of the seven hundred comic shops, so um, it's a great area. Jesse keeps it affordable. Um, when people show up and they don't have to pay parking, and the it's really easy for you know it's like ten bucks to get in the door. Um, that's thousands of dollars when you consider everyone that's there. If they're not, if you know, five thousand people, twenty five hundred of them aren't dropping ten bucks on parking, 
they're dropping those thousands on the floor. And uh, the the people that come into that show, they want comic books. Um, Jim is my best show every year. Every year. Is yeah. Gem City is a great show. Um, I, I'm so glad that Jesse brought me on board to be a staff member with that show. It was very – I've always enjoyed that show going as a fan. Uh, one of the things that I really like um, is the fact that, you know, like you said, there is no paying for parking. There is, uh, you know, his pr- the prices at the door are relatively cheap. But just watching how he markets this, I mean, he gives away so so many tickets to this show. It's unbelievable. Like, as long as you're following Gem City or Jesse on Twitter or Facebook, you have an ample amount of time and opportunities to be able to get free tickets for this show. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah, that, that's just Jesse. I remember, our, you know, a wizard show I did up in Columbus. I, wa- I walked out. I had just finished setting up, and I walked out, and Jesse's standing out there, and he's just handing out free gym tickets. To every single person that walks by, I'm like, now that's a dude that promotes right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. he He's really all about the promoting and making sure that, you know, as much as he takes care of the show for the guests, you know, all of you creators that show, he takes care of the fans just as well. So we we give you mad props, Jesse. We give you mad props. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. And he keeps it comic-centric. You know, there aren't. 50 gigantic media guests that people are dropping, you know, 50 to $100 on autographs, which is fine. But look who his media guest people have been in the past. You know, know, Eastman from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, We've had um, Arlen Schumer, who is one of the great historians of the Silver Age comics. You know, people who are really, they're, they're comic-centric people, those are the big names that he brings. You're not yeah. going to catch Power Rangers, wrestlers, movie stars, you know, anything like that. I mean, he won't let you into that show unless you have a comic or a re- you're somewhere into this medium. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's what makes it so lucrative for the small press guys like me that, um, the people that are there, they're there for comic books. Um, not that there's anything wrong with the, you know, wrestlers and stuff. Hell, I love wrestlers too, but um, that show is, uh, it is a gem. It, it's aptly named. <laughs> yes, it is. And no, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with those bigger shows like San Diego and Dragon and C2E2 and New York City or any of the Wizard Worlds. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the celebrities or things like that. But it is nice sometimes to take a break from where it's mainly centered around media guests and being able to be back into your, I would say your roots. You know, the thing that really got you to being the geek and the comic person that you are in today's society. Exactly. You know, I, we, I mean, I realize that those other shows, they're going to thrive because I, I hate to say this, but the new version of geeks, they're not you and I. They, they are going to be the ones that are definitely, you know, they're the ones who go, Stan Lee, he's a movie star. Uh, no, he's a comic book creator. <laughs> yeah, not not to the young generation, not not anymore. <laughs> you know, my uh, our generation knows who Jack Kirby was. You say the word Jack Kirby, what movie was he in? Oh man! Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, we need to educate you. No, 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 no. And the sad part is, is I, and I hate to say this, I mean, props to Stan Lee for everything that he's done. You know, he is. He is one of the greatest, and I will not deny him that. But it's funny because he does all the cameos and all of these Marvel 
movies, like everybody thinks he created every single character, and I'm going, no, not even close. Right, not by a long shot. Right, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, 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 you know, he was the face, so there you have it. Right. I mean, um, oh, I can't remember his name. He created Vision and Ultron. Oh, why can't I remember his name right now? Help me. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you don't remember either. Anyway, um, <laughs> Stan Lee was like the editor-in-chief at the time that he created Vision and Ultron, which, of course, um, if you haven't seen or even heard of the Avengers movie, sorry, uh, spoiler, because they're in it, which is such a big thing. Um, but, you know, it was really nice, and I can't remember his name. I can see it, but for some reason it's not coming off of the tip of my tongue. I was watching the new Avengers movie, and during the um, – scene where Captain America sees the band and he's at the dance without giving away too much on why he sees everything. If you look at the name on the drum set, they actually give a tip to the hat to the creator of Vision and um, Ultron by having his name as the name of the band. Oh, I didn't, I didn't even pick up on that. <laughs> <laughs> Shame on you. Bad, 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 bad you. Oh, well, you know, if you have to take my geek card, take it. <laughs> but oh uh roy thomas that's it see i knew i would eventually yep. remember it roy thomas he is the one who created he's the one who created those so you know it was kind of nice to see that you know they gave him a tip to the hat because that's always nice to see oh wow. now speaking of have you seen avengers yet oh yeah yeah i've seen it twice actually <laughs> i'm up to three i need to go see it a few more times <laughs> uh, i went like with high school buddies of mine from high school, we we always do the comic book movies. We did that opening night, and then on Sunday I took my son. So uh, yeah, yeah, I saw it twice. Saw it twice. I didn't like it as much as the first one, um, but uh, I you know it was still a great movie. Still a great movie. Well, but I think they did some things really well. Um, pretty warning: if you're going to go see the movie, you might want to cover your ears for like the next five minutes or so, because um, I am going to drop something here in five. Four, three, two, one. Here comes the spoiler. I thought it was really nice how they did the um, with uh, Black Widow and um, Doctor Banner relationship type thing. I thought that was really well done, especially for those of us in the comic industry who's like, wait, she's supposed to end up with Captain America. We all know this, but the way how they did this and you know the way how it worked out, I thought it was really, really nicely done. Oh, I, I, I agree 100%. I, I think they dropped a little bit of that hint in the first Avengers movie, but then the Cap movie, you're right, that they, they kind of almost played her towards Cap a little bit with, you know, the kiss or whatever. Um, but, no, I, they did. They did a great job with that in the, in the movie. They really Right, but, but then again, pay attention to the very end of Avengers where there's a Cap and her – and you see the flirting starting again with them because we all know within the Marvel realm those two are the ones that get together. We all those of us who have read comics for eons, we know this already. And I'm try, I want to make sure that I don't put out too many spoilers out there because I did this last uh, what was it? I think it was last Christmas or something like that. Um, no, not last Christmas. Christmas before. Or super, no, the last Super Bowl that I went and saw over at my dad's house. They did the preview for uh, the second. Um, amazing spider-man movie and i had my friend tyler there and i forgot that my stepmom never read comics but she likes the movies and we both went yes she dies and the look on my stepmother's face when we <laughs> yelled that 
Because when Stacy dies, and we knew this by seeing the scene, and she just looks at us and we're like, oh, crap. Our bad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I didn't know if they would do it in this movie or, you know, the next one. So um, I, I was kind of wait, I anxious to see what if they were going to do it in this one or wait a movie to do it to really wrench your heart. But, uh, yeah, I, I was actually kind of surprised they did it in this movie. But I was totally ecstatic for it. I honestly was because, I mean, I'm like, all right, come on. We got to kill her. Kill Gwen Stacy. I mean, I hate to say this because I really did love the character of Gwen Stacy. I, I remember reading because I, I read the Spider-Man comics, and even though I knew it happened, I had never read it. So when I got to go back and read the Spider-Mans from beginning to end for the first time through and she died, I, had already, I really had grown to really like her character, and I'm like, well, that just sucks. Yeah. <laughs> But you know that's that's uh, that's just part of Spider-Man's mo. You know what I mean? He's he's the epitome of the working class superhero, in that you know the people who work that terrible grinding day job, uh, as much as it hurts and you feel like crap afterwards and you're super tired, you get up and do do it the next day because it's the right thing to do. And that's what kind of Spidey is. Is he's that working class hero that he gets up every day and does it, and uh, his life represents you know the tragedies that happen in real life i think that's why they chose spider-man to have some kind of you know major important death as opposed to any of the other titles at the time right because in all honesty to make spider-man who he is there's two major important things that have to happen to him one uncle ben has to die after he tells him with great power comes great responsibility and Gwen Stacy has to die, so he has to go through, is it worth being Spider-Man? He has to go through those to become the Spider-Man that we know today. Without those two things, he would never be who he is. I 100% agree. Absolutely. Besides, I, I'm sorry, I really miss it when they first did the original Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire, and he grew up next to Mary Jane. I really miss that whole, you've hit the jackpot, Tiger, or face it, Tiger, you hit the jackpot is the actual quote of the first time he meets Mary Jane, and it's just like, okay, she's pretty badass. <laughs> right, right. And I wonder what the thought process was behind that. I, I'm guessing, you know, for the Tobey Maguire movies, they were kind of like, it, this is our love story and we don't have to kill her. <laughs> I, I'm guessing, right. you know, as far as the way the audiences look at everything, but, uh, yeah. Well, you know, you know, you know as well as I do. Anytime they're redoing these, they do these movies. You know, they they pick some qualities out of the comics that they like, and I can understand they're going, okay, we'll just skip the whole Gwen Stacy thing, and we'll just use Mary Jane because she is the main love interest um, for Spider-Man for the modern era of what most people know. You know, only the major fans would know. Oh, Gwen Stacy came long before. Uh, Mary Jane, but then they really mocked it up when they did that third movie, and it's like, oh, now we're going to bring Gwen Stacy in. Oh, wait, you can't do that. That's just wrong. And then <laughs> why did you pick the skinniest guy you could find to play Eddie Brock, who gets to be Venom, who's supposed to be one of the biggest, buffest, linebacker dudes in history? Right, which was, I think, you know, this is the name we have, and it's, you know, a big name we can get, and Topher Grace got the part. Um but you're right, because the thing I – and, you know, I, Ramey even explained this in an interview. He had no intention whatsoever of having Venom in that movie. None. Venom wasn't supposed to be in the third one. 
Venom was supposed to be in the fourth one. Mm-hmm. The executives came to him and said, you need to put Venom in this. Because if, if you remember, there was a moment when Sam Raimi quit before oh, the movie I know. was done, right? And, and that was the whole reason is that they're, they're forcing Venom on him. And you can see it in the film because, you know, the little Venom meteor hits. And then you don't even see Venom again until, what, three-fourths of the movie is over? And it I know. really, it, yeah, it really felt plugged in. And um, it, I think if he had had a whole movie, the thing I loved about Venom was at first, Spider, you know, Peter Parker thinks there's another Spider-Man out there. He has oh, no yeah. idea the suit is taking his body while he sleeps and, and going out and, and, you know, breaking legs and, you know, cracking necks and everything. That was one of the greatest parts was that he had no idea. And, the, and they basically just turned him into, turned Venom into, you know, a, an, a B-rated movie monster. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, there was there was really. Oh, yeah, I no... totally agree. And trust me, I don't blame Sam Raimi. I don't ever blame one person for anything that's done with the movie. I, you know, but in but in all honesty, it's just like you know, it's like that Green Lantern movie. I'm sorry. I I it, it, yes, it is a bad movie. I will I will admit it was not the greatest movie ever created. I do not blame Ryan Reynolds for the acting in it whatsoever. It was the storyline to me that sucked. Why they had to go with that route instead of when DC had not one but two killer Green Lantern animated films out at that particular time. Why couldn't we just do the whole Green Lantern Corps, meet Sinestra as a Green Lantern and watch him become to move to a Yellow Lantern to take over? You know, what what was wrong with going that route? Because that would have been the best storyline to use. Yeah, and see, that's kind of, it's weird how much that DC, when DC does a movie, they they won't follow the storyline of the comic, and the movie bombs. But then when they do an animated feature, they do do the storyline of a comic, and it's hugely successful. You think they would put two and two together and go, hey, what if we went through the comic storyline in the movie? Maybe. Because, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how Marvel's, you know, cash it in there. They're taking storylines from their books. Yeah, they're you know putting salt and pepper on them, addressing them up a little. But you can find the storyline in the comic. DC doesn't seem to be doing that, and I, I think that's at least in their movies. And I think that's what's really hurting them. <laughs> yeah, I, I truly do agree. And it's sad because DC is stomping all over Marvel when it comes to their animated films. Marvel has some decent animated films. Alternate Avengers was nice. The the next Avengers were with the kids of the Avengers was kind of cute. Uh, Planet Hulk was done really nicely, things like that, but they were done but nicely. When it's like, those, great. Yeah, it's but, nothing like, compared to those DC animated Oh, yeah. Films. Batman Under the Red Hood, uh, Son of Batman, uh, Batman versus Robin. Oh, the Wonder Woman was hilariously awesome. Yeah, it, it's 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 quite strange how uh, they they just can't seem to get it right in the feature films. Uh, you know, they did great with Batman Begins, and then you know, Dark Knight. Obviously, the, the, those are I think DC's two best. I, I don't know. Do we count Watchmen as a DC movie? Watchmen was okay. Yeah, I would go ahead and count. Oh, no, I, I would count Watch- at least half of theirs. Yeah, but, no, I loved Watchmen, but 
You know, the Batman Begins and the Watchmen, they followed the storyline of the comic books. <laughs> and then, you know, the, suddenly they go away from the comic books and the, the, the movie suffers. So, you know. Right. I mean, you know, you can go away a little bit from the storyline. For an example, um, the first X-Men movie. Now, of course, all the comic people are going, okay, you have Rogue, who's supposed to be an adult, Iceman, who's one of the original X-Men, and Jubilee, who's supposed to be a kid, all in class together at the same age. Um, no, but it's okay because it worked the way how they did the storyline and the right. way how they put in a little bit of the original Uncanny X-Men in with the Age of Apocalypse thing on how, like, Magneto was the only person who can actually touch Rogue, which we learned in the Age of Apocalypse when she actually Rogue marries Magneto and they have their son Charles, which all takes place after Charles Xavier dies. You know, it was. I, you could see how they pulled different things and different aspects from different genres of the X Men universe to mold it together, and it still and it worked. It's a great movie. It really is. It may not be comic book perfect, but it's still a great movie on its own. Right. Unlike some movies like X Men Origins Wolverine. Yeah, and it's because they they stuck to the essence of what the X Men is, in that young children trying to control their powers, being tutored by people who already can. The names are interchangeable. You know, it doesn't oh. matter if it's rogue. As long as you have a young, you know, teenage person trying to deal with this, you know, sudden occurrence of powers, it still works. Right. You know, but you have to, I mean, there's there's always room for change. I mean, look what they've done with Iron Man, with, uh, they bring in, um, oh, what's her name, Pen, uh, Penny? No. Um, Pepper. Okay, Pepper was not a character that I remember reading about growing up. But Jarvis becoming a computer. Jarvis was always, Jarvis was Pepper Potts' character in the comics, but it worked really well, and I enjoyed it. And even though Tony Stark, you could tell he was a womanizer, and you could tell he was an alcoholic, they, they took a few of the aspects of the womanizing, alcoholic, drug-abusing, more just jerk and they made us feel likable in the movie to where you really enjoyed the movie. Right. So there are ways to do it. DC needs to learn how to do this. You know, we're really to see if they've learned anything at this point, it's really going to depend on what this Batman versus Superman movie does. I know, and I do not have high hopes for it. I really don't. My biggest my, <laughs> my biggest fear is when they were talking about doing Justice League, they wanted to go straight out the bat with the biggest, baddest character they could possibly find for them to go up against straight up the bat, which is Dark Side and I'm just going once you go Dark Side, where do you go from there? Seriously. <laughs> yeah, I I just I, I yeah, we'll have to wait and see. You know, they made Man of Deal, such a dark movie. Um, I, I I don't know. <laughs> I well, uh, I'm going to try and reserve judgment until I actually see it. But uh, I do not have high hopes. I really. Do. Yeah, we all have to reserve judgment. Just like I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. When it comes to Marvel, they do have a movie that I'm really not excited, ecstatic about. I'll have to go send feelers out and see what they do with it. That's that new Fantastic Four movie. I'm just. Every time I read something new about it, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not really going to go spend my money on this because it just doesn't sound like it's going to work right for me. Yeah, I love the look. I, I, I love how they finally made the thing the thing, mm -hmm. right? Because because in those first movies, I mean, he was an awful 
tiny thing. He's supposed to be able to go toe-to-toe with the Hulk, right? And I, oh, I didn't yeah. see that happening, but uh, I really like the look of the characters. Um, we'll just have to kind of wait and see, I guess. Uh, but I, I like the look. But we're definitely going to have to see how Marvel does theirs and DC does theirs. I hope DC working with – you know what? Marvel didn't bring Thanos out. They're just slowly working to Thanos, getting the Infinity Gauntlet slowly. Maybe we shouldn't bring Darkseid in straight off the bat because, seriously, once you have Darkseid, you really can't go anywhere else because he's the one major villain that crosses the streams of all the DC universe. He just right. is. Right. Um, you know, but, you know, I want to see how they do. We're going to, it's just one of those things, you know. They have their Suicide Squad coming up, which I'm really excited for, and I'm really interested in seeing it. But does it hold a candle to the Daredevil that just came out on Netflix? I, I hope, but, because <laughs> they, you know, the Daredevil was so well done. Um, oh, God, yes. I, I, again, I, I just, they can't get it right, man. If just stick to the damn comic book already, <laughs> follow the <a> storyline <laughs> out of the comic, and I, I think I think you're going to be okay. <laughs> okay. Well, it's like you know, um, I just finished watching um, the DC animated movie Batman versus Robin. And I thought it was very well done because it brings in the Court of Owls, which I was always a huge fan of the Court of Owls. That is such an amazing comic storyline because, first off, I love conspiracy theories. And in all honesty, the Court of Owls definitely brings you that sense of the Illuminati or the, the Masons, things like that. You know, it's that great, you know, conspiracy theory. There's this great, powerful group running everything, and no one, including Batman, who's supposed to know Every crook and every little dark corner knows every villain, knows everything that happens in Gotham. No one knows more than Batman on what's going on in Gotham. And yet here's this society that's been working in the shadows who could have possibly even killed your parents because they didn't join, and you never knew about it. And that, that made it such a great comic. And they brought it in. And it's the next one right after the son of Batman. So Damian Wayne's there, and they go after Damian Wayne. And to, instead of, like, in the original where Nightwing was supposed to be the new ward and take over as talent, they focus on Damian Wayne instead, and it worked really well. Yeah, it was really well told. It was a really great story. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. Because that could have uh, I mean, that could have been really, really bad. If it hadn't been uh, done the right way, I mean, it, it, it could have come off as awful. Um, but, no, that Scott Snyder did that right. Oh, yes, he did. He did a really good job of it. And um, I'll tell you something else, and I'm really excited to see, and it's coming out this September. It's another DC animated movie. I'm really, really excited for this. Um, this is Bruce Tim, who most people know from Batman the Animated Series because he did that. It's uh, Justice League Gods and Monsters, but it's taking the three most important, the three most popular characters in the DC universe, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and completely changing them. Huh, I haven't read anything on that. Okay, so let me give you a little bit of setup, because uh, I actually got to see the preview, because it's actually on the um, Blu-ray, my Blu-ray version of the special feature, so that's how I got to see this, and I'm like, okay, this is really cool. So Wonder Woman actually married Orion, which is Darkseid's son, 
And then, of course, after Orion dies, you know, Wonder Woman goes psychotic and goes after dark side and grainy goodness. So that's her origin story. Superman is not the son of Jor-El. He is the son of Zod. Wow. Yeah, so he already has that psychopathic tendency. And when he crash lands on Earth, he's not picked up by the Kents. He's picked up by two Mexican immigrants who are running and hiding from the law. So he's just got this whole rage thing. This Superman will do, will kill without question. That's definitely not a problem. And Batman isn't Bruce Wayne. He's, um, oh, I can't remember his name, but he's the guy who transforms himself into Man-Bat in the series. Oh, uh, right. Gotcha. But he, what he's doing is he's, he has this degenerative thing, and he's doing all of these um tests on himself, you know, to help make himself get better. And so he uses bat venom, which actually turns him into a vampire. So you're watching Batman eat villains to replenish the nutrients that he needs because he's now a vampire. And there's your three main DC characters, but they're still the Justice League in this world. It's a completely alternate universe. I'm really excited to see this because I know how great Bruce Tim's work is. I mean, come on. We all absolutely loved and adored Batman, the animated series growing up in the 90s. We just did. So I'm really excited to see that he has this no-hole-bars, anything-goes world where it's not based off of any comic book and seeing what he can do. Yeah, well, it can be original, and I it, yeah, I love when they, they do off-world, alter, alternate stuff like that. I just like it when they keep it separate from, like, the, <laughs> the main timelines. Um, but, you know, remember all those what-if comics that Marvel did? And um, Oh, yeah, and I'll be honest, I was a little nervous because at first when I was watching this, I'm going, so are they doing another crisis on Infinite Earth type thing? But no, this is completely new, completely, totally separate from everything. It's just what if your three main superheroes from the DC universe that everybody knows had different storylines, had different backgrounds, what would they be now? And I think it's really interesting. But they're still the good guys. And someone's framing them for a bunch of murders. And what's really cool is um, they already kind of hinted there are a lot of Easter eggs in here. Um, they're like, dude, if, you, if you've ever read a comic book in your life of a DC comic book or you've ever watched the 1990s Batman anime series, you're going to watch this. They, they said, uh, this is how they sell it. You're going to want to watch this so many times because there's going to be so many Easter eggs in there, you're never going to get them all. I'm like, now you have my curiosity. Now you have me stoked for this. He said that comes out in September. Yeah, September See, of this year. He all geeked up for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you all will know as soon as I see it because I'm be like, "Hey, I'm watching this." <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of superheroes, you yourself are a comic book writer, and there are superheroes in this comic that you have but not in the realm of we're all expecting, and they are definitely not the main characters. You have this amazing, gave me a lot of WTF moments um, within this last week of reading it um, that I literally had to read some things two or three times because I was just like, no, he didn't. Yes, he did. Oh, my gosh, no way. And you have your comic, and it's called No God. That's it, yeah. I. Uh, <laughs> it was the first, uh, my first, I guess, major attempt at writing a comic. All my stuff up until that point was all anthology stuff for uh, 
various companies that you know publish anthologies. So uh, I finally said, okay, well, I'm going to do my own series. So um, the idea, I actually stole the idea. It's, you know, the book's about a, a 14-year-old boy that thinks he's a clone of Jesus Christ. And I, I did steal that idea. I was, it was, this was at the birth of the Internet, right, because I'm 42. So I remember the world pre-Internet and then the world with the Internet. And when the <laughs> Internet first hit, I mean, there's no filters. There's no warnings. There's no anything like that. Nobody knew exactly what it was. And there were all these crazy-ass websites that what I would find. And one of the websites was asking for donations. And what they claimed is that they had gotten a blood sample off the Shroud of Turin, and they wanted donations so they could bring Christ back again and clone him, which was absolutely ludicrous if you knew anything about cloning at that time. But, I mean, it was just a cash grab. It was just a money grab. Um, And that kind of got me thinking, uh, what if that were possible? What if you could bring Jesus back through the cloning process? And um, and, and then, of course, because I'm a nerd, that he had to fight superheroes. So uh, that, that's what the book's about. It's about a 14-year-old boy that thinks he's a clone of Jesus Christ. And when he wakes up to a world full of superheroes, um, that some are being worshipped like God. He sets out to destroy them so that there's only one God. And uh, that's why the book's called No Gods. Well, in all honesty, I will have to say this is brilliantly done. Now, not only are you the creator, but you wrote it, and then um, the pencils and the inks were done by, and I do apologize. Abeleta. Yeah, Yeah, thank you for you saying that, because I would have butchered it, and then I would have been in trouble. (laughs) Oh, no, Manny. Yeah, just call him Manny. Um, He's from the Philippines, and he, one of the books, one of the shorts I got published in an anthology that company hired him to draw it. And he, I really liked what he did with it. Um, so then I emailed him and said, hey, Manny, would you, you know, be interested in doing a larger project? And Manny was like, I'm interested in doing anything that gets a paycheck attached to it. <laughs> I said, well, of course I'll pay you. So, uh, and that, that's, that's how I met Manny, and that's where it came from. Um, he is the absolute epitome of, professional in that professional isn't a paycheck it's an attitude um i've done because i did all of no gods with him which was 160 pages and then i recently did a first issue called the occultist with him so that was 25 so there's over 200 pages and now he's the artist on half breed so he's drawn roughly 250 of my comic book pages and never missed a single deadline ever, which is quite unheard of in the small press world. Um, (laughs) Manny is, uh, he's just an absolute beast, absolute professional. Um, I'm so happy to be working with him again on a new book. Um, But yeah, he basically how I, how I did is, you know, in the small press world, Amanda, there's no big payday at the end of a book, right? You you put all oh, this money, you put all this money into creating it, and then the break-even point, you know, for a full 160 pages of of art and inks and lettering and print cost, um, it, 
it's two and a half years before I break even on that, right? You, you have to believe you're investing in yourself. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that, that's just kind of how it goes. Um, so we finished up the book. I wanted to make sure that the book was had an ending to it. I didn't want to do, you know, an 80-issue run of something. I wanted to, to tell the story. So we had... I fin- uh, Manny and I finished the series, all 150 pages, before I ever exhibited for the first time. Um, I, I, co- I knew I could have gone, because I you know, it went to Comic-Cons, I knew I could have gone to a Comic-Con with a number one issue. Um, but the, the problem I had is I, I would go to shows and I would pick up all these number one issues off small press, and I'd never see a second issue, um, because the shit ain't easy. And... Yeah. I wanted people, people who were going to buy my stuff, I wanted them to be assured that, the, that I would finish the series. So I, I, I thought the best way to do that would just to be to have the series done. Um, so I, I'm a bit different in that when I first started, I didn't start with one issue. I started with a complete story. All six issues were done. Um, and, and I think that's kind of made all the difference as far as what limited success I have had is that when people come and buy the first issue on a two-day show, about, I don't know, eight out of ten times, they come back the next day and buy the rest of the series. And oh, yeah. that that's a lot easier than expecting someone to find me on the web and keep constant contacts with me while I was making the second issue. Um, so I... I I, I guess this small press world, you know, it's about learning what not to do, right? Because you do a hundred things that don't work to get to the hundred and second thing that does work. Um, so right. I, I think the one thing I did that did work is I completed the series before I ever exhibited. Um, which, and I, which is actually weird because I mean there are some people that you know I. Something that we discussed before the show started is for the longest time, I was definitely a Marvel image in DC girl. I would drop two to three hundred dollars easy a month on comic books. And then around the 2000s, I just they didn't have the stories that were interesting me anymore. And then all of a sudden, a lot more independence and small publishing came up. And you could start seeing the passion that came with creating these characters and the storylines, which you could definitely see the passion in your book. You know, you could tell that you're definitely a fan of this industry. Um, And the way how you write, you definitely thought out the process. So I can definitely see how doing a whole series worked out for you because there's been a lot of small publishers. I enjoyed the comic, but because it got too much for them, they didn't get to finish their series or it's just so time consuming that by the time the second one comes out, I've already moved on to something else. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I think I remember that. I'd have to go see. Right. Right. And you'd have to go find that number one somewhere or just buy a new number one. Right. <laughs> right. Well, we, yeah. we all know Amanda doesn't throw anything away. Hence the reason why her house looks like Toys R Us in a comic book shop moved in. But <laughs> finding be there somewhere. Right. Finding, finding something. Finding something is a whole new bag of worms. <laughs> Especially if it's, you're not a big publisher name, and I'm like, okay, 
I don't remember where I filed this because it wasn't under a publishing company, so I have no idea where it is at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, because, that's, a, that's the thing about small press in that it, it is all about the passion. Um, if If you get into it thinking, well, I'm going to do this so I can be a millionaire, you're only going to last about one con season. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because you suddenly realize that by the time you cover travel costs and table costs and printing costs, um, regardless of what you do to trim those prices, uh, there's no huge paycheck waiting on you for 99.9% of the people that walk, <laughs> that exhibit on the con floor, right? It's a very small percentage that, that uh, ends up walking on the show floor over a year and get signed and everything's great. Um, and when they see just how much time and money they're going to have to invest, um, it really, if you don't have the passion, you're, you're not going to follow through with it. Right. And it's not, we're not saying, Hey, you can't create a comic book and become, you know, a name or a force in this industry. You you know, but when you're looking at creating a comic book, or for in my example, since I'm definitely not a comic book creator because my idea of coloring is I have a coloring book and I have Crayola crayons. Does that count? Um, <laughs> I can do some shading with my gray crayon. Um, <laughs> I don't do this podcast because I'm going, oh, somebody's going to listen to my podcast and go, wow, she can do a live podcast and she's so blah, 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 blah. That's not why I do this. I do this because... I want to make sure that you, the creator, can get a voice out there because this is probably the best way to really, other than being at shows, this is the second best way really to help promote what you have, where you're going to be, things like that. And within this industry, something that a lot of people don't realize, most of us are not in here because we're going to become millionaires. We're in this industry because, A, it's been a passion of ours for many, many years, and through that, we've gained a family that we never knew existed that's always there for each other. Yes, absolutely. It, it is an, a wonderful community to, to be a part of. Uh, everyone, like, it, just like you said, everyone's sharing the same passion, um, the same love for the same things. And um, that's really what it's about. Yeah, we, we want to turn a profit. Uh, but yeah, we're not we saying we don't. <laughs> right, right, right. We we want to, and you know we do, but it's you, nobody's hot tubbing. <laughs> right, right. But, but, yeah. but at but at the heart of it all, as much as you know, it would be awesome if after this podcast you got a call. Hey, I heard you on AGP, and I want to sign you today to do this, 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 and this. Or hey, I heard your interview with Dusty Carson, and we want you to be the next voice of this podcast. That would be absolutely amazing for us. We also realize that also probably isn't going to happen. <laughs> right. That is all. All of those things are a side effect of doing what we love. Right, but this all, you know, the person I think who says it the best would be um, another show that I work for, Derby City Comic Con. Um, Our chief of staff, Mr. Chuck Moore, we love him to pieces. Um, He calls it Chuck. Chuck from Derby City. What's his last name? Moore. I think I've ever met that guy. Wow. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think I'm laughing? Like, yeah, you haven't met him nothing. That's where I actually first met you, duh. <laughs> I have a dedication to him in the back of my last book, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but he, 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 he really does have the best mind on why we all do what we do, because it's a labor of love. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Um, people like you and um, people that we've talked about before, like Eric Adams, who's been an inspiration for you, which we absolutely love and adore him, to, you know, Chuck and uh, Jesse with their conventions, to me and my podcast, uh, your work, you know, so on and so forth. We all do it because it's a labor of love. And it's really nice. I have to say it's extremely wonderful to know that I'm friends with people like you and Eric and Jesse and Chuck, and I'm part of this family. And, and it's almost like together we have the conventions, the comics, and the podcast as a whole. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, Chuck is like uh, <laughs> my first show ever. Well, first show I ever exhibited at which was, was World 2008. That was the first show I exhibited that. I had no idea what I was doing, right? And this guy, which, of course, turned out to be Chuck, comes up to me and explains, you know, he has this website called Comic Related, and um, would I be interested if he came over to my table the next day to do a podcast? I had no idea what a podcast was, Amanda. I had no clue. None. So I'm like, so, you know, when I'm getting ready to go to the show the next day, I'm like, man, I should have brought nicer clothes. What am I going to do with my hair? Because I thought I was going to be on camera. I thought, I thought, that, I thought a podcast was like a newscast, or, you know, on, on with video and everything. So I'm all worried about it because I have long hair, and, all, you know, people with long hair know that there's good days, there's bad days. So uh, I'll, here I am all worried about this, you know, telecast I'm going to be doing with this guy named Chuck Moore because I had no idea what a podcast was. And he comes walking over. No camera. I'm like, what, what? I thought, well, maybe he canceled. All he has is, you know, just like the little recorder in his hand. I'm like, oh, a podcast must not be on camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, though? Nowadays, you may have to worry about what your hair it looks like and what clothes you're wearing because not all podcasts are now just on the radio or over the phone or anything nowadays or online. They, You know, they do video podcasts nowadays. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. You know, I hate to say it, but that's something I want to break out into because everybody's like, I had a couple of friends over here. They walked in while I was finishing up a show one day, and they're like, you know, you should do video podcasts. And I'm like, yeah, I've heard this. They're like, no, because you wave and you talk with your hands and you're pointing at stuff, and no one gets to see that little animated size. And I'll do it. I'll just wave at the computer like you all can see me virtually, like, there's this mental image of here's Amanda being Amanda, which those of you who do know me actually know can see that. But for the most part, most people don't know. So they have no idea the animated features that I can do. And so I was like, okay, but if I'm going to do a video, you know, I want it to be a lot of fun. So I definitely have to work on how I want to do it. Right, 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 right. And plus, yeah. well, I, I know, I guess you could, you know, Skype or what have you, but it would almost be more beneficial to have the person there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, getting back to no gods, because um, I really do want to be able to sell this to people because, you know, I'm just one of these people. 
Um, if there's something that I like, I'm definitely going to prop it up. And this I absolutely love and adored. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, okay? okay? So my best way of telling people, first off, just even if you just go over to his table, see him at a show or anything like that, open it up. Just take a look at what's going on. Within the first chapter of the graphic novel, you there there will be a moment where you're like, um, I'm not quite sure. I'm really confused. But at the same point in time, you're going to be completely intrigued. There he does these. There's these few short little stories that just have these few moments that you're going to find out that Mr. Dustin here has one twist in mind that works out, and you have no idea how this is going to work into the storyline of here's this 14-year-old kid who thinks he's the reincarnate, he's a clone of Jesus Christ, and he has to go kill these superheroes. But these other little stories that pop up, you have no idea at, at all how they're going to fit in until the end, and then it makes absolute sense. Oh, good. That, you know, because that's one of my one of my <laughs> biggest worries is that they don't, makes sense at the end. Um, but they do. But it's so great because they throw you off at first going, I have no idea where this is going. Yes. Uh, those stories, they were supposed to be symbolic of the past, the present, and the future. Because the first story, not without spoiling anything, you realize later in the book it's happening in the past. The second story... Um, the grave tale story. Uh-huh. When, you, when you get to the showdown of him against the superheroes, you figure out that that was happening while Shepard was fighting the superheroes. It, it was the present. And then obviously the final story, the deer hunting story, will lead, let you know exactly what's going to happen in the future to, um, I guess, confirm a, a question you have as to whether these visions are actually real or not, and that that was the future proof. Yeah. Right, but I will. I will. I mean, you know, there's visions because of the conversation the child's having in the church. So you know, there's visions. You just can't figure out where they fit in yet. And let, let let's go back to the deer hunting story without actually spoiling anything for anybody. Most people are going to have a oh my god moment. Me, I laughed so hard. So after the skinnier of the two guys picks up the thing and the incident happens, and then the alien picks up the gun and the incident happens, that's when I fell out laughing. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) I mean, most of them are going to be like, Oh, but I mean, I got. It. I mean, I got. I I know exactly what happened. Without even the fact that the the alien even speaks an alien language, and you have no idea what it's saying. Once it happens, you know exactly what he was saying. It's just this mirror image. But for me, it was hilarious. Like, <laughs> that's what you get, dude. That's exactly. There, there's karma in the quickest route I've ever seen. Right there. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to play both sides in that the humans don't understand or comprehend what they're looking at when they view the aliens, as well as the aliens really don't view or comprehend what they're looking at when they see the humans. And that was the whole play of the incident, that they're, they're, the, 
they're just races of people existing, right? <laughs> that, that's I, what the extension it was. I just, I laugh so hard, and it's like, why is it I hear, like, a Tom and Jerry-type music going on here at this particular <laughs> moment? Because it's just epically, like, seriously, it looks like something that would happen in a cartoon where they're like, oops, crap. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> well, well what, is, what is it they say that the best humor comes from dark places? Um, so that, that that's kind of what I was playing with there. But in all in all honesty, the first chapter alone, which I'm taking um, now because I never read the comics, I went straight to the graphic novel. Right, is each right. chapter one of the comics? Yes. Okay. So yes. just picking up the first comic, so either get the graphic novel and read the first chapter or pick up his very first comic, which I love what you did with the covers of the actual comic books themselves, how they all make this really great scene. Yeah, that was um, – oh, wait, real quick. You can go to IndiePlanet.com, um, search No Gods, and the trade will come up, and the first uh, six pages are up, which would be the first story. So that way they, they don't even have to pay for it. They can go check it out for free. Um, but, yeah, the covers – Go read that. The covers um, – it's funny how the covers came about. The Because I was such a novice. And I had no idea what I was doing. And I wasn't really even, I guess, thinking about what I was doing. Um, when I, I knew I was exhibiting, like I said, in 2008 at the first show. And I thought I was done. I had all, my, <laughs> I had all the comic book pages done. And I had it all lettered. And <clears throat> I thought I was ready to go. And... Three weeks before the show, I realized I didn't have any covers. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> as stupid as that sounds, that's honestly what I did. I realized, oh, God, I didn't even think. I guess I, I have to have covers for these books. And I can't, you know, put it out there with the front page being the front. So my, I, I, I had to scramble, and the only thing I could think to do, because I can't draw, is I took – the first issue, it was just a completely jet black cover with white lettering that said no gods, right? And then what uh-huh. I did for covers is I took the last page of each, like the last page of number one, I dulled it so it wasn't quite as bright, and the last page of the first issue was the front cover of the second issue. And that's, and that's what I did for my first set of covers. And Chuck you know, promptly told me, hey, you need covers. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get some covers. <laughs> this was, a, you know, the first show. So, um, you know, Amanda, being a kid of those late 80s, early 90s when, you know, the, you know, the Marvel Index, what was it, Marvel Universe books? Yeah. It was called, well, well, you could line up all their, all their covers into one gigantic picture, right? Um, and, you know, all the image guys were doing it that you have a gatefold cover across all six issues. So I said, okay. I, and I emailed Manny, and boom, there you have it. Yeah, I, I wanted a, a full gatefold of all the characters covered the six floppy issues. Yeah. And it, but it works. It really does work. I mean, in all honesty, 
just seeing, and this is this is not me as a friend, and this is not me as, oh, somebody who wants to help you with promoting the comic. This is me coming from you the very first time I saw your table um, as a fan of comics. It's very eye-catching to see all six of those lined up and seeing that amazing scene that all six of them put together. I mean, my first thought was, wow, if I had enough money to buy six comics straight off the bat anymore, that would be the set that I would pick. Because just alone, even if I didn't, let's say I didn't even like the comic, I would have kept it anyway and put it in, like, this little glass frame where they were all next to each other because it just makes this really great piece of artwork by themselves. Luckily for, lucky for me, I also enjoyed the comic very much, so I thank you so much for letting me be able to read it because I, I had, like I said, reading this, there's very few comics. There are comics out there that I read, and I'm like, oh, it was okay. But this one was one of those of, wow, <laughs> no, he didn't. Yes, he did. Holy crap, that was funny. Oh, my gosh, that's kind of sad. But, like, there was, like, like there were times, I couldn't even sit down and read the whole thing because sometimes I had to put it down and walk away to come back because I could not focus on the comic because I was either too busy laughing or trying to comprehend, you know, because my mind was like, nah, that's just messed up. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much, um. As a, you know, I, we discussed this a little bit before we started. That my goal as a writer is, when people pick up my stuff, I I want them to feel like there's there's something different going on here. There's something here that I I haven't read before, um, because I think that uniqueness, that key to originality, I think that's that's what kind of carries a writer through that. When you know when you look at the Walking Dead, Kirkman's twist on the zombies, or you know you see George R. R. Martin's twist on medieval fantasy, when you pick something up and you say to yourself, "This feels completely different than anything I've read before," um, well, that's the goal, and I think that's the key to success. And that's one of the reasons why I highly recommend people. You know, I get it. A lot of Guys, a lot of you out there, you want your Marvel, you want your DC, but I highly recommend when you're at these shows, stop by an independent creator, see what they have, because you're going to see, you're going to realize that comic books have come such a long way from spandex and superheroes. There's so many genres out there. There's even comic books that can't be put into a genre nowadays because they're just that awesome. Oh yeah, I, the, the small press circuit on the comic. Or, um, that's that's where originality rests. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the DC and the Marvel. I, I, I still love those books, but they can only go so far. E- even when they kill somebody, you know that person's going to return next year for a big cash grab, <laughs> right? Um, but in small press comics, we're not l- limited by anything. We can do whatever we want. If we want a character to die, it can die. Um, if we don't want it to be superhero, it can be horror, it can be porn, it can be whatever we want it to be because it's our creation. We're, we're not limited by anything other than our own imaginations. And, um, right, because it's your creation. Some, yes, and there are some just absolutely phenomenal books on that small press floor. There really are, and... Um... You know, I highly recommend. Now, I know that you've already had a few shows that you've been to this year. What other shows are you planning on going to this year? Um, well, I'm still, because 
I learned a very important lesson with no gods in that the most profit comes from trade sales. Don't get me wrong, the floppy issues are nice, but when you take into account how much cheaper it is to print and trade than it is to print and floppy because of bulk printing, um, I've kind of decided to go away from floppies and release strictly trades. So um, I'm waiting for those trades to finish up. I'm 80 pages into one, and I'm 42 pages into another. So I went lighter on the shows this year. I'll be at Derby, obviously, um, and then I'll do Champion City. I'm doing Tricon Columbus, and then I'll do Akron. Now next year, all of these trades will have finished up, and I'll be everywhere next year. <laughs> um, but this year I, I, I had to go a little lighter because since I don't have anything new to put on the table, um, the sales just won't be there. Right, and and I do understand that. You know, I've seen a lot of people where they make the mistake of they keep going to the same shows over and over and over and over and over and over again. They have nothing new that doesn't pull anything for you. You know, a lot of th- a lot of things is you know if you do a lot of th- if you do the same show every year constantly, unless you know you have the fans there to keep it being worth going, or just the fact that you're like, yeah, I really like this show and I just want to go hang out with everybody. You really need to have something new, something fresh to bring back the people who've already enjoyed your work because not only that, more than more than likely, they've already told their friends. Their friends have probably borrowed those comics, and they may want those comics, but they're also going to want something new as well. Right, and, you know, it's just like what you said, you know, I don't know, like 15 minutes ago in that even with the digital age, the still the best press, for the small press comic is word of mouth. It's podcasts and being at shows. Um, so, yeah, that's why I, I'll i always do Jim and I'll always do Derby and I'll always do the Tricons. It, it, for some reason, I even though I've been, you know, running No Gods for four years, five years now, um, I can still sell that book at those shows. Um, but the other shows I really can't. I mean, plenty right. of people are coming up and saying, hey, what do you got new? Hey, what do you got new? Um, but for some reason, those shows, I can still sell the same book. Um, but to, to like you said, the comic book audiences are cyclical, right? The same people that are at Jim this year will be there next year, and the same people that are at Derby this year will be there next year in space. That You better have something new if if you want to generate nice sales. So. That's kind of what I'm waiting on. and then uh, Right. But the nice year. thing about Derby and Gem, though, is because the prices, you know, the prices are relatively easy, and it's easy on the people's wallets to get into both of those shows, you know, yeah, they may have only picked up one or two, but you know that person who enjoyed the comics going to come back, which makes those shows worth going to Absolutely. because, again, you know, it's easy on their wallets. So now they only have issues one and two. Now they can pick up three and four or five and six or whatever it is that they need to finish the collection. Or they may just do what I do and go, can I just have the big book with everything in it? Right, right. And, then, you know, like you said, um, you know, Jesse at Jim, Chuck at Derby, um, Eric and James at the Tricons, they they are very good to the small press guys because they know what we're going through. So they make it very affordable for us to do their shows. Oh, yeah. You know, the th- the nice thing is is that, you know, everybody that you just mentioned, they were all fans. 
so they all understand. We've all, you know, right. they've been around, they know how it works. And so, you know, they understand, you know, they're, they're not one of these where the show has become nothing but money for them. It's, it's still for them a labor of love and protect and taking care of not only the fans who come to the show, but all their creators. Um, something that I absolutely will always keep in mind, what Jesse said is you have to have featured guests because you have to have something there on the forefront to make the comic people want to come. But as far as I'm concerned, everyone's a guest. Right, right. Uh, yeah, that, that's the absolute truth. You've got to have that that name. You know, when I do shows like Jesse and Chuck's show, um, and, and they they have, you know, some kind of featured guest, that's what brings people in. And then when I do the shows that are strictly small press, right, all, all it is a small press, it's a small press show meant for small press, you, you know, Chuck and... Jesse, they get anywhere from you know five thousand people in the door, but the small press shows that are all small press, what are they supposed to promote? Sure, they they can still get six to eight hundred people in, um, but the attendants, you know, they're there to see the featured guests and to see the fan art and to experience this wonderful atmosphere. Um, so yeah, you got to have some kind of featured guest there. Oh yeah, well. It, we have actually ran over time. It is now 8.04. So uh, real quickly, Dustin, uh, tell everybody where they can find you on social media or any of your work real quickly. Sure, indieplanet.com. Um, search No Gods and everything will pop up or just find Dustin Carson on Facebook. And I've noticed one thing. You do not have a Twitter account. <laughs> I do not have a Twitter account. Um, I, I, I can't. I, I, I'm an old fogey, man. I just don't want to spend that much time online. I, I take everything I have to maintain my Facebook. <laughs> and, and that is only through help from my wife. So <laughs> it, was just, it was just so funny because um, when I first started in this industry and I first started working uh, with these, uh, these conventions and everything, you know, one of the things that I try to tell these people is, is, you know, since we have social media and everybody uses Facebook and Twitter, I need to know if they have Facebook pages and I need to know if they have Twitter accounts. And they always forget to ask what their Twitter account is. So I will sit there and I will spend hours trying to find one person. Because if I type in, like, your name, Dustin Carson, like, I get, like, 25 results. And I'm clicking on everyone going, is this him? Is this him? Is this him? It made my job very hard. (laughs) Well, you've got no worries with me on Twitter because I'm not there. (laughs) Yes, I know this. (laughs) I think I spent spent like 40 minutes trying to find you the first time I needed a tweet about you. And I was like, he ain't even on here. Screw that. (laughs) Well, just Facebook him. (laughs) Well, hey, man, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, having me as a guest. Uh, you know, like oh, said, it is been a pleasure. I hope that you had fun. Oh, I did. Of course I did. <laughs> I, know, I know my show isn't the most conventional show. I know a lot of podcasts, they go out there and go, all right, your name, what do you do? Okay, where can you find yourself? All right, bye-bye. I'm just not one of those people. You know, I want, the one thing that I love about my show is I want you to always feel like you're just sitting here on the couch getting to talk geek and letting people see who you are as a person because I know once they know who you are, it also will help sell your work. Well, I, I really appreciate it. 
Uh, my pleasure. And, of course, everybody, I highly recommend this. Like you say, you can go to, what was the website again? Indie, Indie Planet. Planet. Mm -hmm. com, And he said the very first chapter of this graphic novel or the first comic is up there to read. And I guarantee you, if you try it, just reading that little bit right there, you're going to be a little confused but more intrigued than anything, and you're definitely going to run out, and you're definitely going to want to pick up either all six issues, which I can recommend either buying all six issues for that really cool six-piece cover or just picking up the graphic novel, which is what I have, because for me this was a lot easier because I had already like 30 comic books and I couldn't care too much more anyway. <laughs> um but I highly recommend this. I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. It's gonna it's gonna intrigue you. It's gonna make you laugh. It's gonna make you cry. You're gonna you're gonna have definitely most definitely have def, uh, major emotions with this. Um, it's a great read. I highly recommend it. Um, and of course, those of you who don't follow me already, you can follow me on. Facebook. It's Amanda Gillen, spelled like William, but with a G instead of a W, which in about the next three days, I should have the review of No Gods Up for you all to enjoy. And of course, you can always follow me over on Twitter, which is LadyVader79. Again, I can't thank you enough, Dustin, for finally making time to be able to come on the podcast. And of course, when you get all that new work out, you better give me a ring and be like, hey, let's go promote this now too, because I will be right there and we can have you back on and get all the word out on the, your new work that you got coming out it's a date sister all right great well um i think you said your next show will be derby city comic-con which is june 20th and 21st in louisville kentucky which of course i will be there since i am one of the staff members so i will definitely see you there my friend all right and, course, all right and of course to everybody out there um listening to the podcast i want to thank you all for stopping in being in the chat and of course i hope you all have a wonderful geeky day and you all have a great night Bye-bye. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.